Hello, this is Jerry Hendricks and Adrian Hendricks of Save One More Now Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There's no greater dishonor to God and human life than to reject his eternal salvation that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Today we conclude with part two of last week's message, Give the Devil His Stuff Back. We took a look at how the devil has taken many Christians hostage with our key verse, John chapter 14, verse 30, that follows these verses from John 14, where Jesus, speaking with his disciples, says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you love me, keep my commandments. If a man loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. The word which you hear isn't mine, but the Father's who sent me. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of all that I said to you. I will no more speak much with you, for the prince of the world comes, and he has nothing in me. John chapter 14 verse 30 reads like this in the Amplified Version. I will not talk with you much more, for the prince, evil genius, and ruler of the world is coming, and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. By way of review... Five points we want to examine from verse 30 are, one, the prince, the evil genius, and the ruler of this world is coming. Actually, the prince is here. Just look around you. Two, Jesus states that the devil has no claim on him. Satan accuses us day and night, according to Revelation 12, verse 10, but he could not and cannot accuse Jesus. Three, Jesus states that the devil has nothing in common with him, that is, in character, in form, in nature, in what is treasured, in deed, in past, in present, in future, in no way. 4. Jesus states there is nothing in him that belongs to the devil. The devil could not, cannot, and will not touch Jesus to retrieve anything, ever. 5. Jesus states that the devil has no power over him, but Jesus has all power over the devil because although he died, by being innocent of what causes death, which is sin, he was brought back to life according to Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Can these same things be said of us? Can we say them about ourselves? I mean, really, as Christians, are we being held hostage by the devil because he has the right to? Does he have any kind of claim on us? Do we have anything in common with him? What, if anything, do we have in us that belongs to him? And do we obey him? If we do, the Bible says that we are his slaves at Romans 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you present yourselves as servants and obey someone, You are the servants of whomever you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. If we cannot stand up to this kind of scrutiny, perhaps it is time to give the devil his stuff back. In other words, we must cut those ties with the devil that keep us bound and unable to walk in the freedom from sin and authority and power that Jesus paid for. 
an honest self-examination with the help of the Holy Spirit of exactly what we really believe about Jesus is a good place to start because he is our foundation and the source of our salvation. A few questions can be very revealing. We need to ask ourselves, one, do I really believe Jesus is the only begotten Son of the living God, that he was crucified and raised back to life, and that he lives today? Two, if so, do I need to handle how I think or speak about him differently than I do? Three, do my strongly held beliefs agree with the Bible, or do I believe something the Bible does not say? Four, Are there concepts and statements in the Bible that I don't agree with, and as a result, I completely disregard them and by extension, reject, deny, and disobey the warnings? 5. Is there anything the Lord has been nudging me about changing, but I am dragging my feet, denying the issue, or just refusing to listen and change? The Apostle Paul makes a contrast between the unrighteous deeds of the flesh and the outworking of the Spirit at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, that you may not do the things that you desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are obvious, which are adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, rivalries, divisions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, even as I also forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. If we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Jesus warns us in the parable of the sower at Mark chapter 4, specifically in verse 7. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And verses 18 and 19 explain verse 7. Others are those who were sown among the thorns. These are those who have heard the word and the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in are the devil's delights we must throw off. One could even say that those are equivalent to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that 1 John 2.16 says does not come from the Father, but from the world system controlled by Satan. At 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father's love isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life isn't the Father's, but is the world's. The world is passing away with all its lust, but he who does God's will remains forever. 
Bible teacher Adam Clark says, Can you suppose that you should continue to be the servants of Christ if you give way to or give in to sin? Is he not the master who exacts the service and to whom the service is performed? Let us be clear. Sin is the service of Satan. Righteousness is the service of Christ. If you sin, you are the servant of Satan and not the servant of God. Paul goes on to say at verse 17, But thanks be to God that whereas you were servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching whereunto you were delivered. In being made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. But as you presented your members as servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now present your members as servants to righteousness unto sanctification. For when you were servants of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. What fruit then had you at that time in the things whereof you were now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification and the end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me repeat that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If not confessed, repented of, and renounced, all sin results in death, as we just read at Romans 6 verse 23. And even one sin condemns a person as a lawbreaker, as James 2 verse 10 says. For whoever keeps the law as a whole but stumbles and offends in one single instance has become guilty of breaking all of it. Galatians 2 19 through 21 agrees. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. That life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't reject the grace of God, for if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ took the penalty for all of our sins, every single one. This means sin committed in ignorance and presumptuous or deliberate sins. This is an important distinction because there were no sacrifices under the law of Moses for deliberate sins according to Exodus chapter 21 verse 14 that says, If a man schemes and comes presumptuously on his neighbor to kill him, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 12 and 13 say, The man who does presumptuously in not listening to the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God, or to the judge, even that man shall die. You shall put away the evil from Israel. All the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20 says, But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, in his cleansing blood, we are forgiven. We are reminded at Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks for it, and broke it. He gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup 
gave thanks and gave to them, saying, All of you drink it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. The forgiveness of sins is attested to as we read at Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him all the prophets testify, they bear witness, that everyone who believes in him, who trusts in and relies on him, giving himself or herself up to him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name, the name of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There is another piece of luggage known as selfishness that says, I am saved and on my way to heaven. Hurry and come, Lord Jesus, and get me out of this evil world. This probably keeps many Christians bound because they refuse for any number of reasons to share the wonder of that very salvation of which they boast. Instead, they appear to be unconcerned about the hundreds of millions of people God loves going into eternal loss. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 explains, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We ought, as children of God, to have that very same concern and aim as we read at 1 Timothy 2.4. God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. We all, us included, were not saved for nothing. Christian brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we equip ourselves to share the precious salvation of Jesus Christ with the lost. Now that we have identified some of the sources of our bondage, let's go on to the solution. So we begin again at our foundation, who is Jesus. We can start by taking the prescribed action at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let's also, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So then, here is the process we recommend for throwing off the devil's baggage. We must believe that Jesus is who he says he is, make the appropriate adjustment in our attitude to him and our thinking about him. We must totally surrender to Jesus and obey him with raw, naked obedience, trusting him to send the Holy Spirit as he promised to lead us into all truth regarding every need we have. We must confess not only our sin of unbelief, but any other sin that crept in with it. To confess means to admit or declare oneself guilty of what one is accused of. To say it a different way, we must simply agree with God about what He tells us about ourselves or anything else. We must repent. This means we must change our minds about how dangerous sin, all sin, is in our lives and turn away from them, even if we must call on God to help us every day. We must renounce our old ways and habits. This means to cast them off once and for all, place them under the blood of Jesus, refuse to entertain them, and ask the Holy Spirit to burn every bridge to them. We must accept the forgiveness Jesus paid for, 
The work is done. All we need to do is believe it and move forward, remembering that his sacrifice saved us from eternal separation from God the Father. We will not be out of line to thank him continually for our deliverance through his love for us. This is not an all-conclusive list, but these are powerful steps that can lead us back to our unhindered relationship with God the Father in Jesus. Not only that, we can repeat this process any time we find ourselves holding on to something that belongs to Satan. We need to take a stand this day with and for Jesus Christ, our holy human template, who lives forever. So we can say, as he did, Satan has no claim on me. Satan has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to Satan. Satan has no power over me. I have been made clean from the lure and effect of sin by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This message, Give the Devil His Stuff Back, was primarily directed to Christians who find themselves in a struggle with the enemy regarding one or more behaviors which they find impossible to victoriously eliminate from their lives. We are not directing these things toward those who do not believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who was killed and made alive for the salvation of all humanity. These people, despite what they believe, are enslaved to Satan. And unless they enter into the life God offers through what many believe is the foolishness of belief in Jesus Christ, they will share eternity with Satan and away from God in the lake of fire. If this describes you, we need to let you know without a doubt that God is not against you. He is for you and wants you as part of his family. Jesus said so at John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. But he also said this at John 3, 18-21, He who believes in him is not condemned. He who doesn't believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his works may be revealed, that they have been done in God. If you want to make that change, the first step is to believe what Jesus said. This is a matter of the heart and the will. God will not make anyone believe. He leaves each of us to do that on our own. But you need to know that believing what Jesus said is the only way to get free from the slavery of Satan. God wants every human with him forever. This is why he sent Jesus. Anyone who wants God enough can do this with his help. All they have to do is call on him. It is written at Romans chapter 10, verses 6 and 8 through 13. But the righteousness which is of faith says this, Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, and is rich to all who call on him. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Keep 1 Peter 2.16 in mind and live as free people, yet without employing your freedom as a pretext for wickedness, but live at all times as servants of God. Give the devil his stuff back and live in the freedom provided by Jesus Christ. We pray as Paul prayed at Ephesians 6 verses 19 and 20, that words may be given to you when you open your mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that in it you may speak boldly as you ought to speak. And at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's love, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life, If you faithfully spend time with him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that he really loves you and he has a divine purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life life is is good. good. God God gives life. God is good.